We sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Are you a soldier of the cross today? Have you had a time when you enlisted? Are you still on the firing line if you have enlisted? Are your convictions as they have always been? Or have you dipped the banner? Have you compromised? In fact, are you truly a Christian? Have you truly been saved? Do you know for sure that if you die today, you go to heaven? And if you are a Christian, don't get entangled with the things of this world. Don't let anything distract you from Christian service, from being a soldier of the cross. America needs a revival of Christians who love God and who want to make a difference. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. If you have a Bible this morning, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. First time I went to Washington, D.C., I wanted to see the Washington Monument, tallest structure in, in uh, D.C. at 555 feet. I was advised by somebody to go there and go to the top and get my bearings. From the top there, you can see in every direction. You can see the layout of the city. It's really an amazing city. You know, on the east side of the Washington Monument, 555 feet up, there's a plaque there, and it's been there since it was built. And on the plaque, it says Laus Deo, and that's Latin for praise be to God. And every morning as the sun rises, that plaque faces the east, unseen to all except heaven. And that compact prayer of praise is, is uh, I guess, a wonderful recognition of, of our nation's unique acknowledgement of the place that God has in its founding and its continuance. We have a godly heritage. There's no question about that. The father of our country, George Washington, said it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible, if you can imagine that. And then George Washington Carver, who was named after him, he said the secret to my success, he said it's simple. He said it's found in the Bible. And then he quoted from Proverbs 3, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. And of course there was Patrick Henry, famous for saying give me liberty or, or give me death. And Patrick Henry said, and I quote, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, people of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. And those are good words from Patrick Henry. There was a French diplomat, also an author and a historian, long about 1850 or so, uh, he came from France and he said this, and I quote, he said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her, in her democratic congress and in her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and I heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. 
and how true that is. A few years after that, the United States Congress said, and they passed a law saying, the Congress of the United States recommends and approves the Holy Bible for all of our schools. You know, one at a time, states were added to the Union, and, and with each one, in every single state, you find an acknowledgement of God in their state constitution. There are also strong military ties uh, with God and country. And in my office today, if you were to walk in there, you'd see a, a very nice painting of George Washington that someone gave to me, kneeling in the snow there during the Revolutionary War and, and praying. And just above that on a shelf, you would find a flag that's been folded 13 times. You've seen the triangular flag there. And this one just happened to fly on an F-15 sortie mission over Syria and Iraq and was given to me with a plaque uh, in my honor back on November 29th of 2017. Did you know that every single one of the 13 folds of that flag denotes something about God and, and country? It's, it's highly symbolic and it, it is very, very spiritual. Well, this is Veterans Day weekend. And on November 11th, 1921, three years after World War I ended, the remains of an unknown soldier were brought back from France and they were interred at the Arlington Memorial National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. And the following words are inscribed on the tomb of the unknown soldier. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Years later, on Memorial Day, in fact, in 1958, two more unidentified American soldiers were brought from overseas, and they were interred there in the plaza beside the unknown soldier of World War I. One was killed in, in World War II and the other in the Korean War. And then in 1984, an unknown serviceman from Vietnam was placed alongside the others. And to honor these men, symbolically, uh, of all Americans gave their lives in war, there's an Army Honor Guard that keeps vigil night and day, 24-7, 365 days a year. A, a continual reminder of, of uh, freedom and its cost. And as was said in the video a moment ago, the cost of freedom is, is very high. And Veterans Day on, on November 11th is held once a year. And this started with, with Armistice Day a hundred years ago, November 11th of 1919. And it's a special anniversary commemorating when the war ended in, in World War I. You know, Jesus implied more than once in the Gospels that a soul, one soul, is worth more than the whole world. And if you consider that fact, think of the many souls that have, have been given for our freedom in this country, going way back to the Revolutionary War in the 1700s. 15,000 died in that war. And then another 15,000 died in the War of 1812. And then there was a civil war. Credibly, over 600,000 lives were lost in the civil war. World War I, over 116,000 soldiers died. World War II, over 405,000 soldiers died. The Korean War, over 33,000 soldiers died. And then Vietnam, over 58,000 soldiers died. In Iraq, over 4,400 have died. In, uh, in Afghanistan, over 1,000 have died. And if you do the math, you come up with a total of, of over 1,250,000 soldiers that have given their lives over the year, plus the, the many more that were not recorded, plus the many more that came home with, with mental and emotional trauma of what they saw over there. And of course, there were many who, who came home to enjoy the freedom that they had fought for over there. 
And unto all these, we, we pay our utmost respect and honor today, and, and we thank you. Uh, somebody so well said, uh, a veteran is someone who at one point of his life wrote a blank check made payable to the United States of America for an amount of up to and including my life. And I agree with that. So today we salute the soldier. And uh, before we read our text here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to pose a question and spiritualize it here. As we talk about soldiers, we're going to be talking here about soldiers of the cross. And I pose the question, are you a soldier of the cross? Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, the apostle writes to Timothy, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You find the mention of soldier here a couple of times in this passage. And, and, and Paul understood and used metaphors quite often relative to the, the military. You know, I've been to parts of the world where military people walk around city streets with, with machine guns, and it's just a part of life there. In the first century in Paul's day, in the Roman world, if you will, it was an everyday thing. There were soldiers walking around all the time. And everybody understood the Imperial Roman army. It was just a part of their lives. And so you find a lot of writing in the Bible, especially the New Testament, several places at least where there's analogies of soldiers used. For example, in Ephesians 6, and this is somewhat famous, we're, we're told to take on the whole armor of God. You've read that before, and it talks about the helmet and the shield, the breastplate, the, and the sword, all that that goes with it there, the armor of God. In 1 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul's defending his apostleship, and he says, who goeth to warfare at any time of his own charge? Again, he's thinking of stuff that they saw every day at that time. In 1 Corinthians 14, 8, Paul said, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And again, he's thinking military. In Philippians 2 and in verse 25, he mentioned Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. He's a fellow soldier of mine. And then in Galatians 6.17, he said something. I don't think most Christians catch this one. But he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You've read that. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Well, actually, at that time, it was a great honor for a Roman soldier to be permanently branded with a hot iron as an identification of the fact that he was a soldier in the Roman army. And Paul carried his own marks and his scars as a, a badge of honor. And he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he said, warn them that are unruly. Warn them that are unruly. And that word unruly there in the Greek, it's atakoth. It, it, it speaks of insubordination. He's saying, warn them that are insubordinate, if you will. It's, it's strong military language. And you find other strong military language throughout the Bible. And in Jude, you find earnestly contend for the faith. And, and, and that speaks of a military struggle there. So there's no question about it. Um, Paul understood the military. And in our text here, he's talking about being a soldier, but a soldier of the cross. I've been to, to London and went to a cemetery there 
on purpose, the Bunhill Cemetery, and it's located kind of in north central London. And I wanted to see a few graves there, and one in particular was the grave of a man by the name of Isaac Watts. He was born way back in 1674. There's thousands of graves in the cemetery. And Isaac Watts was a, a preacher. He was also a songwriter, and he spent his entire life studying the Bible and writing hymns. Well, he was preparing a sermon on 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where it talks about be strong, quit yourselves like men. It was militaristic. And he came up with a song, and uh, many of you are familiar with that song, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? And there's one verse in it which says, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? A soldier of the cross. What does that mean? To be a soldier of the cross really is talking about a Christian who is committed and faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they've been saved. They've been born again. They've trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And as I look at this passage here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I see three things quickly. And the first one is what I call the enlistment of the soldier. The enlistment of the soldier. You know, my son enlisted in the Marines at one time, and my wife and I went downtown to the enlistment station, and, and he was sworn in at that time and became a Marine. And the Marines have a slogan, they're looking for a few good men. Kind of makes you want to go, oh yeah, and go join them, that kind of thing. But they're looking for a few good men, a, a, a few who would enlist. And in verse number four of 2 Timothy 2, Paul says to Timothy, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him, notice, to be a soldier. Chosen. It's a long, long Greek word there, and I don't try and pronounce it, but it speaks of one who enlists. And it speaks necessarily of a warrior who has enlisted. And it speaks of here Christians who have enlisted in God's army, if you will, or been chosen or been saved. And, and let me just say, by way of my background, I didn't always know Christ. In fact, for the first 20 years of my life, I was religious, but, but not a soldier of the cross. It was in March of 1981 that I heard the gospel really for the first time in my life that you could know for sure you're going to heaven when you die, that you could have a salvation that would change your life and one that you would never lose. And on that Thursday night in Crookston, just up the road, I called upon the Lord and asked him to save me and was born again and, and, and enlisted in a sense at that time, if you will. And, and for the past 38 years, I've been following my captain. The Bible speaks of the captain of your salvation in Hebrews 2 verse 10, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a soldier of the, the cross, you are following the captain. And Paul, who wrote this to Timothy, had a time when he had enlisted. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 9, you read where, where Paul signed on, as it were, and he called upon Christ and was, was saved. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And I, I challenge you today, have you had such a time in your life when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? where you surrendered, and you said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You were born again the Bible way. So we see the enlistment of the soldier, but secondly, we see here what I call the entangling of a soldier. And notice in verse number three here, Paul says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him 
to be a soldier. He mentions here the entangled soldier, the soldier who has been entangled, and it tells us here that there are some things that we as soldiers of the cross need to avoid so that we don't compromise the mission. These are things that are going to distract us from the battle. You know, there are men who have died in battle because somebody has gotten distracted. And, and, and so the Roman army, even at this time, had a code. They didn't want any Roman soldier getting distracted. And within this code, and I read it this last week, they said, we forbid men in military service to engage in civilian occupations. They were that strict. If you can imagine, no other occupation. You're a soldier. Don't get sidetracked. Don't be double-minded. You're a soldier 24-7, 365 days a year. Those soldiers ate and they drank and they slept being a soldier, and they were separated from society. They were not taken up in anything else. They were not entangled, as the word is used here. In the Greek, that's an interesting word. Entangled simply means to be woven in with or knit in with. And no man that warth ought to be interwoven with this world, with this society, if you will. True Christians are not to be entangled with worldliness and carnality and, and the secular junk of this world, if we could just call it that. And so we find out that we're to not be entangled. And uh, honestly, the, the goal is that we might please him. And that's what it says in verse number four, that he may please him, that is God, who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Our goal in life ought to be to please him. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatsoever you do, do all to his glory. It really simplifies life. We are here to please him, plain and simple. And Enoch in the Bible had that testimony. It's mentioned in Hebrews 11, simply says that he pleased God. And so God is looking for some soldiers who will not get entangled with the things of this world, but will live a life that will please him. And he's looking for some Christian soldiers who will stand in these pagan and these uh, pornographic days in which we live, this pathetic society in which we live, and take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days. There's a little song, and there's a chorus within that song that says, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. There's another kid's song that says, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. And how true that is. We see the enlistment. We see, secondly, the entanglement of a soldier. But thirdly, and finally, we see the endurance of a soldier. In verse number three, Paul says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. And in the Greek there, it means to undergo hardship. It, it, it means to suffer trouble. It comes with the turf. A soldier patiently endures hardship on the battlefield, and so must a Christian. In the Christian economy, in the Christian life, we ought to be able to suffer affliction well. And, and that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. And when Paul wrote this, actually, he was a prisoner in Rome. He was in the Mamertine dungeon. I've been to Rome. I've seen the remains of the Mamertine dungeon. It, it was horrible. And there he was eyewitnessing the severe training of the emperor's troops, the patriots of Rome at that time, the good soldiers of Caesar. And, and Paul probably knew some of them by name. And so this is on his heart because Rome produced, I think, perhaps the toughest military disciplined soldiers in the world. 
If you study the Bible and you study the book of Daniel and you see the kingdoms there of gold and silver and brass, it gets to Rome and it, it's represented by iron, the iron empire of Rome. And the Roman soldiers were trained to endure brutal hardship at that time. So were soldiers here in the U.S. You know, if you think of all the wars and the suffering in the United States history, going back to the brutally cold nights at, at uh, Valley Forge and places like that, a, a soldier is drilled and disciplined for the hardships of service to his country. And he undergoes those. And the Army and the, the Air Force and the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard have concepts of, of discipline and, and obedience. And they drill that in to those who are soldiers. They are taught to en endure endless hours of drilling and constant pressure and guard duty and, and uh, tasteless food <laughs> and nasty sergeants and exposure to bad weather. And we find here an admonition now from Paul to Timothy, and it's actually not ironically to fight well, but just to endure hardship. Just to endure hardship. Timothy was a soldier of Jesus Christ, not of Caesar. He had been born again. And now to endure hardship and hardness and difficulty and not to quit is going to mean suffering trouble and enduring affliction and a lot of stuff that maybe even Christians don't consider when they enlist in the Lord's army. But we're in this thing until death or until the Lord returns. And when Paul wrote this, actually, he was a, a prisoner of war. You could call him that. He was on death row. And it would just be a, a matter of time. This is his final epistle here. It would be a matter of time until he was let outside the Mamertine jail. And there he would be beheaded for just simply preaching the gospel. Well, when he says to Timothy here to suffer hardship, he's not saying to, to do as I say and not as I do. Paul understood this. And he talks here about being a partaker, actually, of suffering and enduring hardship, and coming alongside of here, a partaker in affliction. And so he gives him that admonition. I give to you that admonition as a Christian today. Honestly, if, if you have been saved by the grace of God, we're not to entangle ourselves with the affairs of this world. We are to be a good soldier of, of Him and please Him, plain and simple. There are some great songs out there, I think of a few here. One says, if you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There was another song that we sang. It says, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banner go. We sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Are you a soldier of the cross today? Have you had a time when you enlisted? Are you still on the firing line if you have enlisted? Are your convictions as they have always been? Or have you dipped the banner? Have you compromised? In fact, are you truly a Christian? Have you truly been saved? Do you know for sure that if you die today, you go to heaven? And if you are a Christian, don't get entangled with the things of this world. Don't let anything distract you from Christian service, from being a soldier of the cross. Don't let anything cause you to go AWOL. Perhaps you're remaining faithful, but you're enduring hardship as a, a, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And maybe you need strength from the Lord today and you need grace from God. But I do know this, America needs a revival of Christians who, who love God and, and who want to make a difference. And America's unprecedented blessings no doubt have been connected 
to our Judeo-Christian roots. There's no question as you study history in my mind. And we still have the freedom to worship our God and to share this gospel with everyone that we meet. And you can thank a vet for that freedom. And we do today. God bless you veterans. You truly are a national treasure. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.